0: The final chapter of the book of Ruth, chapter 4, and it's page 269, if you're following in the Church Bibles. Ruth marries Boaz, Boaz marries Ruth. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, "'Come over here, my friend,' and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here, and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Father, thank you for the thought, the prayer and the planning. Thank you that you are in charge. Prepare our hearts to hear what you want to say to us and bless Debbie as she speaks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning. And um, I wonder what your initial reactions were when you heard Chapter 4 read just now. The climax of this story has a last-minute twist to it, doesn't it? Will the kinsman-redeemer, who is closer in blood relationship to Elimelech than the hero of our story, Boaz, redeem Ruth instead? No, of course not, because God is in control. He has a plan and a purpose for Ruth, Boaz, and for Naomi, A purpose, in fact, that puts Ruth's son, Obed, in the lineage that leads directly to Jesus. We heard some of that genealogy read to us just now at the end of chapter 4. You see the redeemed become part of the story that leads ultimately to the birth of the Redeemer, Jesus. How amazing is that? and more on that later on, but for now, can you feel the weightiness and the significance of this story of redemption as part of God's salvation plan? There is a sense of needing to take off our sandals as we approach this passage, not to legalise a transaction as we saw in the passage, and not even because of the beautiful new carpet. I had to get that in somewhere but because we are on holy ground. So as we start to look at this last chapter of Ruth together, let's just remind ourselves very briefly of the story so far. In chapter one, we had the Velcro effect, didn't we, that Peter used to describe the relationship between these two women. Ruth clung to Naomi like Velcro and took the enormous risk of going with her to a land she didn't know and a people that weren't her own, without any of the security that a husband would bring. Her husband had died, as had Naomi's other son and her husband. The picture was one of loss and despair. Naomi even said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Verse 21 of chapter 1. And she says, call me Mara, which means bitterness, because the Lord has made, me, has made my life bitter. But Naomi didn't allow the bitterness of her enormous loss to consume her, as we see as the story goes on in chapter 2 and chapter 3. So in chapter 2 we begin to see the amazing loving kindness of our faithful God reflected in the lives of the two main characters, Ruth and Boaz. We see God's plan unfolding as it just so happened that Ruth went to glean in a field belonging to Boaz, who just so happened to be from the clan of late father-in-law and late husband Elimelech, those God instances that are all part of his plan and the beautiful way that God weaves the tapestry of our lives, often quietly and unobtrusively. We just know, don't we, deep in our hearts that this cannot be the work of luck or fate or of our own good planning. We are witnessing in the book of Ruth the hand of an almighty and compassionate God working out his redemption plan just as he does in my life and in yours if we will allow him to do so and then in chapter three we heard last week about how Naomi encouraged Reith to take another enormous risk in going to lie at the feet of Boaz as she slept on the threshing floor but We also heard that this seemingly bizarre and risky instruction from Naomi to her daughter-in-law Ruth was in fact based on very sound knowledge of Jewish law and her trust in the God of Israel, whom, in spite of all she had suffered, she knew was faithful and could be trusted. Naomi and through her obedience Ruth both leaned the full weight of their trust on their almighty God. And so to chapter four, what main themes can we pick out here as we consider what it means to have enduring faith? Well, at this point, I need to um, pay tribute to this book, um, Shattered Dreams by Larry Crabb. Some of you may have come across it, I don't know. It's based on the story of Naomi. I first read it 16 years ago and it totally, well, it began to totally revolutionise my thinking on who God is and his purpose for us. Now, I've read it twice since, once when I was pretty much bedbound bound um, with dystonia. That's, for those of you that don't know, I've got a neurological condition um, that affects the muscles in my neck. And most recently, I read it again in preparing for this talk. Now, 16 years ago, I didn't really understand it. Um, Not sure I really understand it now. But at that point, I knew in my heart what Larry Crabb was saying had to be true about the depth of relationship that we can have with Jesus brought about through our response to suffering. And then four years ago, I knew that too, but boy, did I struggle with it. And then on reading it most recently, I realized that my life experiences in the last 16 years, and I think especially my daily struggle with dystonia, and also the heart-rending broken relationship with my mum that I prayed about so fervently and grappled with so painfully right up until she died, three years ago last Saturday, and beyond, have begun to transform my thinking about God's ultimate, ultimate purpose for me in this life into lived out understanding and a desperate, desperate desire for more, for more of God. So how can we have a faith that endures In the last two weeks in our journey through Ruth, we've focused on the story of Ruth and Boaz, and that's been right. But today, I'd like us to turn our attention back to Naomi. Let's consider for a moment where we left her in Chapter 1. I've already said that she was bitter, and she had lost everything that gave her hope and security. She had lost everything except for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who clung to her like Valkyrie, and her flickering faith. Okay, just wait for a minute. Okay, is that better? Okay, okay. Right. And her flickering faith and hope In the God of Israel, who, despite all the tragedy, pain and loss, she felt heed inflicted upon her, she clung to. You see, it wasn't a bold declaration of faith in difficult times. It was a desperate clinging on, and a faith that, though tested almost to the brink of extinction, endured. Those words come to mind from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. Naomi's hope and faith was bruised and flickering, but it was there. And that was enough for God to work with, to bring about his plans and his purposes for her and for Ruth. And it's enough for God to do the same in our lives too. You see, I think there is a truth right here in the story of Naomi, recorded in this book, that we find unpalatable. But the more I go on in my journey with God, the more convinced I have become that it is true. We, and in this case Naomi, had to let go of her security in the things of this world. She had to let go of happiness to find joy. For Naomi, she had no choice but to let go. She had her security and her happiness brutally taken from her in the death not only of her husband, but also her two sons. And for some here this morning, that is part of your story too. You too have experienced the loss of a loved one. Maybe you have experienced the loss of multiple people that you love, and the pain of that... I can only imagine, must be breathtakingly awful. But, my friends, the hope and faith in Jesus that we base our lives on and that we offer to those around us who don't yet know him has to be one, has to be one that transcends the circumstances of this life or it is futile and worthless. The love of God has to be strong enough and enduring enough to hold us and satisfy us even when the absolute worst happens, as it did to Naomi. Maybe when Elimelech died, as recorded in chapter 1, Naomi in her grief and her pain thought, at least I still have my two sons, my daughters-in-law and the hope of grandchildren, to comfort me and renew my life in my old age. Maybe that was the hope and the security that she clung to. But by a very bitter second blow, her sons too were taken from her, even before any grandchildren for Naomi had been conceived. Her dreams shattered and her hopes lay in tatters at her feet. But, God. You see, the barley harvest was just beginning and God was beginning to grow another dream. Dare I say it, even a better dream in Naomi's heart and in Naomi's life. And it was God's dream. It was God's plan. In fact, it was God's plan for her redemption and that of her beloved daughter-in-law Ruth. And it was part of God's bigger plan, his redemption plan, that would even include you and include me. And so in this final chapter of Ruth, we see that Naomi's faith has endured just as God's faithfulness has to her. God's faithfulness to Naomi was, of course, never in doubt. But Naomi had to believe in it, even when it seems that all hope was lost. This involved a choice. And it was a very hard choice. And I think sometimes in our lives we are faced with that same choice. Will we choose to trust God when our dreams for our lives shatter and what we hope for seems lost? So, here in chapter four, we see a very different Naomi from the one we left in chapter one. She is every bit a proud grandmother with Obed in her arms and all the women around her blessing her and praising God. Let's look, shall we, at what they say in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 4. Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a family guardian. We could also say here, who hasn't left you without a family. May he become famous throughout Israel, which of course he did, because Obed is in the genealogy of David, as we heard read, which means he is also in the genealogy of Jesus. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Something this, in chapter one of Naomi's story must have seemed impossible. Surely that dream had died with her husband and sons and could never be reborn. But God... For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. They go on to even declare, Naomi has a son. Now, obviously she hasn't, in the way you and I understand it. There is no blood relationship to the boy she holds in her arms. But I have the feeling that to Naomi, he is every bit her son and her grandson. The love that she feels for him is not diminished by the pain of her loss. In fact, it's increased and made sweeter by it. I don't know if you remember me preaching on the last chapter of James back in July on the themes of perseverance and on healing, but one of the many things that God was teaching me then and is teaching me now through my dystonia... And through other aspects of my life, especially I think the ones that I find the hardest, is that He is the God who makes the bitter things sweet. God declares it in Exodus chapter fifteen, when Moses and the Israelites are wandering in the desert, and the only water to drink is Mara, which means bitter. And yes, I was amazed and trembling to be reminded, as I as I wrote this talk, that it just so happens. That Naomi says, "Call me Mara," in chapter one of the book of Ruth. Again, an example in my life of God making those connections that hope that only He could make. Do you see the connection too? God says in the book of Exodus through Moses, God tells to put his stick in the bitter water and it becomes sweet for the Israelites to drink, that he is the God who heals. And right here in the life of the woman, he wanted to be known as Mara because of all the bitter things she has suffered. God brings healing and restoration in ways she would never have chosen. And yet that is what he does. But there was a cost to Naomi, and there is a cost to us. She had to be prepared to surrender her bitterness, to surrender her resentment, to surrender her right to feel as she did. You see, it was because Naomi made a choice to begin to surrender her bitterness to God that she allowed God to begin to make the bitter things sweet for her and for Ruth. You see, God never forces his way in, does he? He waits for us to be ready and willing to invite him in. And that is a difficult and painful choice that Naomi made. And that is why she could sit with Obed on her knee, this grandson who was no blood relative, and love him so dearly and give thanks so unreservedly to her faithful God. She did this with a faith that had endured the most horrendous loss, pain and suffering. You see, Naomi had lost happiness and found joy. That joy that, although shaken by circumstances, cannot be extinguished by them because she found the joy of knowing God, her Saviour, her Redeemer, her Friend and her All in All. Wow. It's powerful. And what is so much more powerful is God. As we picture Naomi with Obed on her knee, I picture something else very powerful. I picture sorrow and joy flowing through her and out of her in such a powerful way that all those around her would have noticed it. Indeed, I am convinced that those women who spoke words of praise to God and blessing over Naomi recorded in verses 14 and 15 saw it. And now I want to tell you about my friend whose story to me has echoes of that of Naomi's. It's different from Naomi's, of course, because every story is unique. But like Naomi, she has known her dreams shatter, and she walks in the reality of the pain of that on a daily basis. She has known sorrows in her life that I can't fully understand, but God does. She and her husband have every right to be bitter. They have every right to say, why me? Why us? And I don't know, but maybe at times in their journey with God, they have done that, just like Naomi did. But what is so striking and so humbling to me is that what flows from them is love. Love for each other. Love for those around them. And most of all, an infectious and tangible love for their God, who they know is faithful. You see, like Naomi, they have made that hugely difficult choice to allow God to make the bitter things sweet. Held by the incredible, all-embracing love of God, they have been on a journey over many years to surrender their own hopes, plans, and dreams, and embrace God's My friend describes her experience of God reaching into her pain as one of overwhelming joy and sorrow woven together with love. The deep sorrow is still there, and I think she would say it always will be. And I think the sorrow was still there for Naomi too as she holds Obed in her arms. But flowing with it and intermingled with it, in a way that only, the way that only God can do, is joy. How is this possible for my friends? How is it possible for Naomi? And how can it be possible for me and for you? Well, I think my friend would say it is possible only, only because of the overwhelming, irrepressible, relentless, Love of Jesus flowing into her life, encompassing all the sorrow and weaving within it the deep joy of knowing and experiencing him. And what is so much more powerful than that is that amazing combination of sorrow and love flowing mingled down that we see in the passion of Jesus on the cross. I see glimpses of this reflected in the life of my friend and her husband. And I see glimpses of it here in the life of Naomi too. So I wonder, can we experience that in our lives? I wonder, can we, like my friend and like Naomi, choose to let go of bitterness and embrace hope where our dreams have shattered? Can we allow God to weave his faithful, loving kindness into our lives in the way he did with Naomi and with Ruth? Can we open the door of our hearts to him, even just slightly, to allow him to begin to bring joy out of sorrow? Can we allow him to make the bitter things sweet and rejoice like Naomi when he does? Can we trust and lean our weight on our faithful God enough to allow him to do that? For he is the God who promises without proviso and without a get-out clause, for if things in our lives go badly wrong, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, Jeremiah 29:11). And I really hope that wherever we are in our lives this morning, whether on the mountaintop, the wilderness, the pit of despair, or anywhere in between, that promise convinces us that God is with us. He is for us. He doesn't make mistakes. He hasn't forgotten you. And he has a hope and a future for me and for you that is unshakable even when our dreams shatter. And now as I finish, can I also encourage you with an observation from the genealogy at the end of the chapter and the rather strange wedding toast that we hear about in verses 11 and 12. The elders are in fact asking God to make Ruth like Rachel, who was desperate for children, but who for many years was unable to conceive, like Leah, who could have children, but whose husband didn't love her not exactly what those two women would have dreamed of, and yet it says in verse 11, they built up the house of Israel. Then, as if that isn't bizarre enough, the elders go on to ask God that through their offspring, Boaz and Ruth might have a family like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Again, not the usual people you would expect to be mentioned in a blessing prayed over a newly married couple, In fact, the truth is that Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute to trick her father-in-law into sleeping with her, and Perez is one of the twin boys conceived by Tamar from that liaison. And yet, yes, Perez is there in the lineage of David at the end of the chapter, and therefore in the lineage of Jesus. And King David himself describes in the Bible very aptly as a man after God's own heart, which he most certainly was, was also an adulterer and a murderer. So, what conclusions can we draw from this and from our time dwelling in the book of Ruth? Well, number one, God is both amazingly faithful and amazingly forgiving. I think it also tells us that God doesn't use the perfect... He uses people like Tamar and David. He also doesn't choose the obvious. Ruth wasn't even an Israelite. She was part of the tribe of Moab, and yet God chose her son, Obed, to be part of the lineage of God's redemption story. He also doesn't choose the most powerful or influential. Naomi was a widow who had lost all her closest blood relatives And with it, her identity, her security, and her dreams. So who does God choose? Well, I think he chooses people like you and like me. There are requirements, yes, but they are ones that we can all meet, regardless of our age, our marital or financial status, our family situation, or our circumstances. God, down the ages, all through the pages of the Old Testament and the New, so clearly here in the book of Ruth, and write down history to right here and now, today, in Basin Hill, chooses people who have two qualities in common. Openness and brokenness. An openness to God's spirit moving and working in power within us and flowing through us and out of us into the lives of those around us. And a brokenness that says we can't do life on our own. That we are broken, messed up people who need a saviour, who we can put our faith and our trust in, whatever, whatever life may bring. Naomi and Ruth both had these qualities. The dear friends I have talked about this morning have these qualities, and so do many people here in this church this morning and beyond its walls. I pray daily that by God's grace, I might have them too. And maybe if you haven't done so already, you might choose to ask God right here, right now, to help you begin to develop and grow that openness and brokenness that allows God to work out his plans and his purposes in your life. If you do, like Naomi, you will be blessed beyond measure. Amen.